0: Boom, 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 boom. A-side, B-side, what side are you on? Welcome back to A-side, B-side podcast. That's Adam Weingarten and I'm who?
1: Uh, Brooke Summers.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to catch you off guard this week.
1: <laughs> Didn't know there'd be a quiz.
0: <laughs> I wanted to see if you were paying attention.
1: <laughs> I mean, m- most of the
0: time. <laughs> All right, so let's see. How was your week?
1: Uh, it was good. It's uh, very fun here in the frozen tundra. We haven't had a high above 10 degrees in about 10 days.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so that's super cool. You go outside and everything freezes immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to convince our four legged friends that they should do their business outside when there's no way in HE double hockey sticks that I would do my business outside in negative 20 degree wind chill. But we evidently asked them. Uh, which I don't. It's probably not very fair.
0: I mean, you don't have to take her outside.
1: Uh no. she won't go inside. Like we've had really long conversations about what the toilets for, and doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be landed. So,
0: mm. yeah.
1: And also, like, it'd be hard for her to get up there. She's not that big a dog.
0: Like Queen, she likes to be free.
1: Yeah, yeah. She'd love to be free. <laughs> <laughs> she also does the uh the thing where we're out there. She does her business, and then all of a sudden, one of her legs is suddenly got a thing. She's like a soccer star who suddenly pulled up limp, holds her leg up, and it's like, oh, I'm like, okay, yeah, keep walking. And then she'll do the other leg, and I'm like, you can't even remember which leg you're pretending is hurt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she just wants the attention. She doesn't care how she gets it.
1: And then usually by the third leg, then I'm carrying her. So that's you know it works. I'm well trained. <laughs>
0: So um, this week, I started some new stuff on Netflix and Hulu. Nice. And so started Firefly Lane. It's a, it's a new show. It's got Catherine Heigl and oh, is it Sarah Chalk? Yeah, she's Yeah. On, yeah. So, so yeah. from Roseanne and from Scrubs, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's they're like lifelong best friends, and it's kind of their story.
1: And like evidently Catherine Heigl's back, so you know there's that.
0: What do you mean? I've said her name.
1: Well, no, no. I just, I hadn't heard from her in a while.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she she I hadn't guess she, been. She had kids and got married. She was taking a break. Well, that's fair. Um, also, HBO Max dropped, no, I'm sorry, Netflix. I'm thinking HBO because of Euphoria, but Netflix dropped Malcolm and Marie. So basically Malcolm and Marie was like the first movie that was recorded in quarantine.
1: Yeah. So I've seen trailers for that because you log into Netflix and then like it starts playing. And I'm like, well, I don't, what's going on? Uh, but I, the trailers don't seem to give me a lot of info. Is it just like a bad relationship and they're trapped together?
0: So they're not trapped. It's basically one night. It's one oh, okay. night in their relationship. Uh, it, they, it's a couple that comes home from a movie premiere and basically it's the ups and downs of, their relationship in a night
1: gotcha okay so it's kind of like that the one with uh kylo ren and
0: marriage story yeah Yeah. and and, uh what's her name the one that's married to colin joe scarlett johansson yeah um yes but i didn't like it i I didn't like it i love zendaya love john david washington
1: Mm -hmm. who is denzel's son who used to play in the nfl
0: yes um, I, and he sounds, when he talks, he sounds just like his dad. They don't look alike. He looks more like his mom, but they sound exactly the same. It was, um, very toxic. I mean, I guess it's probably yeah. one of the more real relationship movies out there, but if I wanted toxic, I guess I could go back to an ex.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it looks very intense. It's like, hmm, it's 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night. What am I going to watch tonight? Oh, people fighting? I'm good.
0: yeah. I I just for I'm as excited sure as I was they're very good in it, but yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, they are. Don't get me wrong; they're very good in it. I didn't like it. I just thought it was too much. It was too toxic for too long, and I just, it, like I said, if I wanted that much toxicity, I'd go back to an X.
1: And it uh, it's crossed over already in terms of like being dropped as a reference. I was watching uh, the ESPN show Around the Horn. They've got you know four columnists all talking about things. And they compared a current relationship between uh, Dak Prescott, who's the quarterback for the Cowboys and the Cowboys as just like that movie. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that movie's been out like not that long. and We're already, it's already dropping references in a completely different style of pop culture.
0: Yeah. But uh, there's that also uh, Lupin or Lupin, but the French Mm -hmm. way Lupin, on Netflix is really good and it's got Omar Sy. And I don't know if you watch The Intouchables. That's the movie Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston did the American remake. I can't remember the name of it, but
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the the one guy uh in it, it's his, him and his his uh assistant or yes uh doctor basically
0: his assistant yeah so basically it was done the year before and it, it, it's a French movie that was originally done before the Brian Cranston Kevin Hart movie. And the mm-hmm. the French version, the Intouchables, is amazing. And Omar Sy is one of the leads. And so he's also the lead in this show, um, Lupin, based on uh our Ar- Ar- I'm gonna say it wrong. Arson, Arson, Arsan Lupin, which is a book about a, a a gentleman robber, basically. Okay,
1: yeah. So he's he's like a thief, but kind of like a like if James Bond was a thief.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: It's kind of got that vibe, like, yeah. obviously not a secret agent, but you know, kind of that vibe of dashing and charming. Mm-hmm.
0: and Very much so. Yeah. Uh, and then I started Shameless UK. I've already finished. I already, I watched Shameless, the US version, and I was a big fan. And so I kept hearing about Shameless UK. And then they were talking about it on a, another podcast that I love, My Favorite Murder. And they mentioned that James McAvoy was on it. And I was like, What? Oh, I'm watching this right now.
1: He's good. I like him.
0: He was very good on that. So it was before he kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, So very, very, very good. He's one of the major players on there as well.
1: It's like uh, the guy, Tom Huddleston, who plays Loki. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Is like on a really old version of one of my favorite shows, Midsummer Murders. And he's like super young and he's got all this like crazy curly hair. And you're like, is that Tom Huddleston? That's Tom Huddleston. What's he doing here? So yeah. it's fun to see that.
0: Hiddleston, by the way.
1: Hiddleston. Wow. Well, you know, he's probably not listening. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Tom.
0: <laughs> or Tom's um, family. Also, we want to say a big thank you to your friend, Roger Fringer, who, of yes. course, we Janice bought us coffee and bought some merch not too long ago. And Roger bought us some coffee. And he said, he said, congrats, because I said their name properly. Oh, yeah. So do people say their name wrong a lot?
1: Yeah, it's like finger or flinger.
0: Oh, so yeah. people can't read?
1: Basically, they just assume they know what they're seeing. <laughs> you know, like my last name is should not be hard. It is Wine Garden. But like when I was a kid, we'd always know when some telemarketer was calling because they mm-hmm. were like, "Can we speak to Mister Winne Garden?" Nope, there's no uh, that name here. That's that's not how you say that. So. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. I do I do high school announcing for basketball and football and I always try to go to the opposing team and ask how to say names because there's often names where I don't want to make an assumption Uh, and then even sometimes after they have told me how to say it and I've written down it phonetically, and it's like ready like I have a little like ways that I'm like okay this is what you need to remember so you say it correctly in the heat of the moment sometimes I'm like saying it wrong and it's instead of buskins it's bushkins. and it's like that doesn't make any sense like why did i do that so it's hard sometimes
0: well i'm i'm happy that i was able to say it properly and i'm i'm trying making sure i'm saying it again properly so thank you to roger fringer for buying us coffee and for listening and adam he says uh loves the true crime stories and also loves hearing the childhood stories from you guys
1: yeah because honestly he was there for most of them (laughs) (laughs) like we go way back like fourth grade so Mm -hmm. uh he had the misfortune of living me on living with me on three separate occasions so uh poor guy
0: (laughs) so thank you to roger and everyone that has taken time to not just donate but also to uh, give us a rating and a review on apple we thank you so much because it really does help Uh, If you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to go to Apple and give us a rating. You can leave a review if you'd like, we'd love a review, a a good one. Um. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And honestly, hearing from people that have listened is like the number one. Well, the number two motivator to keep doing it. Number one is I'm scared of Brooke. Uh, But number two is that people will be like, Hey, we saw this. We listened to this week's episode or I'm like two, three episodes behind. So it's, those little uh, bits of encouragement go a long way. So it is appreciated.
0: Scared of me. I'm not going to beat you up. You, you could. I'm though. smaller than you. Yeah. I, I you, am feisty, that, though.
1: Yeah, you're feisty, and, and you, were in, you were in the military, and I just signed up for getting the recruiting thing so I could get a keychain. So <laughs> there's a big difference there in terms of execution.
0: <laughs> All right. So this week, I believe it's my turn to start first.
1: Yes. It's always, I always love that. Cause then I get like some time to kind of like percolate. <laughs>
0: All right, Adam. So last week we talked about, well, over the last two weeks, really, we talked about a really prolific murderer. Wouldn't call him a serial killer. Cause he wasn't like on a, he wasn't doing it for power or spoil. Well, he was kind of doing it for power, but it wasn't, there was no motivation behind it. He was just a hitman.
1: Yeah. He, he was just, a professional killer.
0: Yeah. He just liked to murder
1: yeah i was like um, i'm good at this it's a very niche industry
0: but what about one of the first if not the first american serial killer so we're so going way back we're going way back i got to give a shout out to listener brad butler for this one he is actually the one that suggested it uh, just like Brad, you can submit a story to us if you'd like to hear it, or maybe a hometown homicide you'd like to share. You can do that at A site, or you can email us at asidebsidepodcasts at gmail.com. So this, like I said, is a story of America's first serial killer. Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, also known as Henry M. Howard, Henry Gordon, Alexander Bond, O.C. Pratt, D.T. Pratt, A.E. Cook, G. Howell, and H.H. H. Holmes. So, Dr. Henry Howard Holmes was a con artist, a trigamist. That's a person that has three spouses. Wow. He was involved in multiple lawsuits, at least 50 in Chicago alone. And to top it all off, that cherry on top, murder.
1: I can't believe he didn't go with Triple H at one point.
0: (laughs) So he was born Herman Webster Mudgett on May 16th of 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. His parents, Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price, both of whom were first generation descendants of English immigrants. They were the first in the area.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Herman was third. He was behind older sister Ellen older brother arthur and in front of henry and mary
1: so he was the middle
0: child he was the middle child yep yeah. he was born into an affluent family and is said to have enjoyed a very privileged childhood and was said to be unusually intelligent at a very early age which is scary we will see how this intelligence gets twisted and turned all about
1: should have got that kid more books
0: Herman, Herman's parents were devout Methodists. His father was from a farming family and he himself farmed from time to time as well as working as a trader and a house painter. So when Mr. Mudgett, or we're gonna just call him Holmes from here on out, was 16, he graduated from Phillips Exeter Academy and began teaching in Gilmanton and later moved over to nearby Alton, Holmes married Clara Lovering on July 4th of 1878 at the age of 17. And then their son, Robert Lovering Mudgett, was born on February 3rd of 1888. He was 19 at the time. He was born in Loudon, New Hampshire. Side note, as an adult, Robert became a certified public accountant and served as a city manager uh, of Orlando, Florida. Just a side note, so you know, not quite on the same level as his dad. Mm. So at the age of 18, Holmes entered, HH Holmes entered the University of Vermont in Burlington. He dropped out after 1 year. Later, in 1882, he enrolled at the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery, and after passing all of his exams, he graduated in 1884. He almost didn't graduate though, because a widow, a widowed hairdresser accused him of making a false promise of marriage. Ooh. somehow he was able to escape that accusation and graduate while at university. He worked at the, uh, he worked in the anatomy lab under the guidance of professor Hurd, the chief anatomy instructor at the time, Herman or Holmes, then had an internship in New Hampshire under Nahum white who had 17 siblings, by the way, I'm just saying, uh, the, sure. there, there's no relevance here to that. The story of that, but I just thought, wow. 17 that's just, Whew. yeah,
1: that's, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. That is like two baseball teams worth of kids.
0: That's a lot of kids. So Nahum White was a big time advocate of human dissection. This is going to come up later when Holmes is a murder suspect.
1: What are you a big time advocate of? Well, you
0: know, I like human dissection. Yeah, he's going to claim that he's not a murderer, but a mere insurance fraudster. He's going to admit to using some cadavers to defraud life insurance companies several times in college. Man. Fact while at the University of Michigan, he stole corpses and used them to make false claims and experimented on them. All right, let's not forget HH is married, and people that lived with the pair said that Holmes became abusive and violent with Clara. It got so bad that in 1884, before his graduation, she left him and moved back to New Hampshire. She didn't keep up with him after that. She, she just left.
1: Probably a good choice.
0: Yeah. So that's according to a letter from Clara to Dr. Arthur McDonald, a noted criminologist who researched and wrote about H.H. Holmes. After graduation, he moved to Moores Folk, New York. And while there, rumors began circulating that he'd been seen around with a young man who disappeared. Hmm. Holmes claimed that the young man went uh, went home to Massachusetts. No investigation into the disappearance took place. And HH hightailed it out of town. You know, you've already got people looking at you. They're already suspicious of you. So he just v- vanished. Right, time to go. Next, he pops up in Philadelphia and he got a job working as a keeper at Norristown State Hospital. It was a psychiatric hospital that originally... Called, it was originally called the State Lunatic Hospital of Norristown. And from what I could find, a keeper was like housekeeping maintenance.
1: So that name indicates that there were other state hospitals?
0: Well, I'm guessing so, yeah. Well, that's a lot of
1: state hospitals.
0: There's usually more than one in a state.
1: Luckily, I have not visited more than one.
0: <laughs> so he quit Norristown after just a few days, and he soon began working at a drugstore. But there were some issues because while he was working there, a young boy died after taking medicine that was purchased at the store. Of course, Holmes denies any wrongdoing. And he left Philadelphia and changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes, H. H. Holmes, to avoid any of his past deeds from being exposed. Then he pops up in Chicago. But we're going to pit stop first. So in 1886, while still married to Clara, Holmes takes his next bride, Myrda Belknap. She was born in 1862 in Pennsylvania. They marry in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. A few it's weeks. Close to home. Yeah. A few weeks after his marriage to Murta, HH finally filed for divorce from Clara, citing infidelity on her part. Yeah,
1: cuz she's like seven states away and can't fight the charge so yeah it was her fault
0: well and he's the one that's remarried how if anyone's he's the one that was cheating technically yeah you'd think so <sighs> hey but what's a little cheating and marriage for us you know cheating in your marriage for a serial killer you know hmm.
1: it's that's... pretty common it seems honestly <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the lawsuit went nowhere because there was no proof of his claims chances mm-hmm. are clara never even knew that the lawsuit was even out there um, that's at least the inference that can be made based on surviving paperwork. The divorce was never finalized. And on June 4th of 1891, the case was dismissed on the grounds of quote, want of prosecution. That means a case is dismissed by a judge because nothing has happened in the case to move it forward for a while, or maybe a hearing was missed by someone. So mm-hmm. since there was no hearing and there was no proof, they dropped the case. Right. So long story short. Holmes and Clara remained married. There was no divorce.
1: Oh, because she didn't show up. Like, because it was dismissed. Right. Gotcha. Yes. Okay.
0: So H.H. H. Holmes and Murda had a daughter, Lucy. Theod- Theodate Holmes on July 4th of 1899. Mm-hmm. July 4th, very consistent date for him because he also married Clara, the first wife on July 4th, 12 years earlier. Lucy yeah, this was way go- he
1: doesn't have to f- 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 like learn a new anniversary.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Smart or a birth date or anything. Everything just yeah. happens on July 4th. Yeah. So Lucy was born in Englewood, Chicago, our uh, Inglewood, Chicago, Illinois. And later in life as an adult, she becomes a school teacher. So mm-hmm. the apple does seem to fall far from the tree. Yeah. Rolls down the hill.
1: Right. Small people. Keeps going. Okay. So Get, on getting away from that tree.
0: <laughs> on January 14th of 1894, Holmes marries for the third time, this time to Georgiana, York in Denver, Colorado. And yes. He is still married to Clara and to Murda, which is why he is a trigamist.
1: Yeah, that's impressive. I mean, he, he's like disappointing women in multiple states <laughs> at the same time.
0: In August of 1886, Herman, who is now Henry Howard Holmes, makes his way to Chicago using H.H. Holmes. He began working for Elizabeth Holton at her drugstore in Inglewood. So today, Inglewood is part of Chicago, but in the 1800s, it was a little quiet community independent of the Windy City, and it was located on the southern outskirts. Gotcha. So H.H. proved to be a really hard worker, and he saved up, and he was eventually able to purchase the store from Elizabeth Holton. Hmm. Now, there's lots of stories about Elizabeth Holton's husband being an old man who mysteriously disappeared along with his wife, you know, died of murder or whatever, but the book H.H. Holmes, The True Story of the White City Devil by Adam Selzer said that Elizabeth's husband, Dr. Holton, who was only a few years older than H.H. and a fellow Michigan alum, both the Holtons lived into the 20th century so there's no, there's no truth to the rumors that he killed them. No, so he was
1: accused, but...
0: There were rumors that were like, oh, they disappeared. They kind of just retired and moved away. Yeah,
1: they were like, we're done.
0: Yeah. Once he bought the store from her, they just kind of,
1: you know... Yeah, went like, we never liked any of you anyway. <laughs> Going so to Michigan.
0: HH purchased a lot across from the store where construction had begun for a two-story mixed-use building with apartments on the top floor, retail spaces, including a new drugstore on the first floor.
1: Hmm.
0: So Holmes was sued in 1888 when he refused to pay the architects and Aetna Iron and Steel. In 1892, he was unfazed and added a third story. Incredibly... He was able to convince investors and suppliers that he intended to use the building as a hotel during the upcoming Colombian exposition, even though the hotel portion was never completed. Ever the scammer, HH hid the furniture that the furniture suppliers had dropped off, but he hadn't paid for. He hid hid the furniture in hidden rooms and passages throughout the building. Also,
1: this building has hidden rooms and passages. So that's, this should, this, this is a sign here. That's not a great sign.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the building, in this building, there were soundproof rooms and hallway mazes, some of which ended up leading to nowhere.
1: Totally normal.
0: Several of the rooms were outfitted with chutes that would drop straight down to the basement where HH had vats of acid, quicklime, and a crematorium to dispose of his witnesses. Damn. Nothing good is happening in a building that's not like a mortuary that has a crematorium in it, like nothing.
1: No, Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy built an evil lair. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't in a volcano, which I mean, missed opportunity.
0: (laughs) So according to an article in the Chicago Tribune from March of 1893, after a search of the building, all of the oddities that were discovered and made the news caused investors to pull out of the deal. There was Mm -hmm. a jeweler in the building that showed them the article. There was a jeweler in the building that showed them the article. That's gonna come back up.
1: I was gonna say, I'm I'm guessing was is the uh, important part of that. So in
0: 1892, the hotel was mostly complete and it had three stories and a basement, and stretched the entirety of the block. The first floor was storefronts, and the third floor held apartments. Now, I know you're thinking, I skipped a floor, but I didn't. I'm saving that. Ooh. The second floor was HH's tricked-out torture toy land.
1: Which sounds like a horrible theme park.
0: Yeah. This floor had the previously mentioned shoots into the basement, rooms with Hinged walls and false partitions. Some rooms had many doors. Some had one. There were rooms with secret passageways, airtight rooms connected to gas pipelines Mm. that were essentially gas chambers, doors that opened into brick walls and hallways and staircases that led nowhere. HH would use the chutes to send the bodies into the basement where he had surgical tables waiting, lined with a vast array of medical tools to be used to dissect the bodies. He would then take the victim's organs and the bones out to sell on the black market and to medical institutions. Now, this is a huge, huge, huge building, massive rooms, massive construction. So you're probably like, well, how come none of the builders or architects reported him? Right. So you have to think about this. He was constantly switching things up. I would assume non-payment, was the least of the issue. He didn't want anybody to put a full picture together. So between the non-payments and finding new contractors and finding new builders, new architects, there was always a new rotation of people in there in different parts. So nobody was able to put together the full picture.
1: It's kind of like when I worked at Red Lobster back in high school, we would have one person make the first part of the cheesy biscuits and then somebody else made the second part. So no one knew the full recipe.
0: It's exactly the same.
1: Except with murder. Because, I mean, those cheesy biscuits are, those are heavenly, not murder.
0: (laughs) So to top it all off, all of the rooms were outfitted with an alarm system so that whenever a person stepped out into the hallway or headed downstairs, a buzzer would alert him in his room.
1: So if anybody tried to escape, the warden knew what was going on. Mm -hmm.
0: So one of Holmes's, earliest known victims was his mistress yeah three wives and a mistress that's a that's a movie title right there (laughs) not
1: a movie that you're gonna find on a certain type of venue
0: (laughs) so julia smythe was married to ned connor ned was living in the building and worked at the pharmacy jewelry counter when ned found out about the affair he quit the jewelry counter and left town so Remember, there was a jeweler that tipped off the investors. Mm-hmm. I don't have solid proof that it was him, but it would make total sense that yeah. it was him.
1: It would, it would fit the story. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be ticked off enough to maybe let somebody know.
0: Right. So Julie, along with her daughter, stayed in the hotel and continued on with HH. It's believed that Ned was, in fact, one of HH victims maybe because of the affair or the investors or both.
1: So when he left town, Mm -hmm. he probably probably just went down a chute.
0: Yeah, because he was not heard from again. It's too bad she did not know what an awful dude H.H. was. So both Julia and her daughter Pearl went missing on Christmas Eve of 1891. H.H. claimed that Julia died during an abortion. It was never confirmed. Okay, so let's say Julia did die during an abortion. Where's Pearl? What happened to Pearl? I'm mm. not buying your abortion story. Nope. Another of HH's love interests was Emmeline uh, Sagrand. Emmeline began working at the hotel in May of 1892 and disappeared that December, the same day they were set to marry.
1: would would. Is- Wife number four.
0: It would be, mm -hmm, if they had in fact married. Would that be a quadrigamist?
1: I think if we're following the linguistic style that we have already seen, yes. Okay,
0: all right. Another one of Holmes' supposed paramours that vanished was Edna Van (sighs) Tussel. So H.H. worked at Chemical Bank on Dearborn Street, uh, and while there, he met Benjamin Peitzel, who was a carpenter with a criminal past and the two became really good friends of course birds of a feather so benjamin had a coal bin display in the storefront that was owned by hh holmes benjamin became hh's right-hand man for several criminal criminal-minded machinations hmm. a district attorney described benjamin as holmes's tool his creature his and guy H- yeah his, his dude Penchman. In 1893, during the Columbian Exposition, AKA the World's Fair, mm-hmm. Holmes opened up his hotel to the public. It was supposed to be to celebrate Columbus's discovery of America, which is a whole nother thing we can talk about later. Yeah. I didn't even make it to America. <sighs> so the city was booming and the fair brought people in from around the world. And around this time, actress Minnie Williams, Moved to Chicago from Texas, where she met HH at the unemployment office. There are what? rumors. Hmm? D- doesn't this guy have like seven jobs
1: already? He's at the unemployment office too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, this guy is a real remember, he's extremely intelligent.
1: Yeah, he's got he's one of these guys with like the spinning plates on the sticks. <sighs>
0: So there's a rumor that, or there were rumors at the time that the, the pair actually met years earlier in Boston, but it is unconfirmed. Holmes offered the one-time actress and railroad heiress a job at the hotel as his personal stenographer. And she said, yes. It should be noted that young H.H. H. Holmes to some could be considered very charming and very handsome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's how he's getting all these ladies.
1: Yeah, evidently being, you know, A weird eccentric guy with seven jobs works,
0: yeah. So, Holmes was somehow able to convince Minnie to transfer to him the deed to her property in Fort Worth. Now, remember, they met at the unemployment office, but they met under the name he was using of Alexander Board
1: because he got bored of all his other jobs and Mm -hmm. just decided to create a new one who was getting unemployment.
0: I guess so, yeah. Or maybe I mean, he might have just been scoping the place out for victims. You never know.
1: Yeah. I figure while he's there, he's like, I'll pick up a check. You know, <laughs> might as well.
0: So in April of 1893, Minnie transferred the deed. Holmes notarized the transfer, then later signed the deed over to Benjamin under the name Benton T. Lyman and HH using O.C. Pratt. This dude just loves initials, apparently.
1: Yeah because it creates mystery what does oc stand
0: for orange county Hmm. Mm -hmm. so in texas pratt and lyman began construction of another hotel but the texans weren't feeling the two there was just something about the two of them that rubbed them the wrong way and they ran them uh, out of town them and their fraudulent ways out of town oh wow Mm -hmm. nice yeah kudos to you texas Texas. Yeah, yeah exactly
1: like, this guy's never worn spurs. Look at his hat. It's like a seven gallon at least.
0: In May, Holmes and Minnie, pretending to be husband and wife, rented an apartment in Lincoln Park. Minnie's sister Nanny came to visit. Later in July, Nanny wrote a letter to her aunt that she had planned to travel Europe with brother Harry. Minnie and Nanny were never seen alive again after July 5th of 1893. Holmes was very entrepreneurial minded. He still had connections from his med school days, and he used those connections to sell skeletons to medical labs and schools. Uh, According to an article on mental floss, he and sometimes a hired assistant were accused of stripping the flesh off the bodies, dissecting them and preparing the viable skeletons. The rest of the remains would be tossed in pits of lime or acid, effectively breaking down any remaining evidence. By July of 1894, several insurance companies wanted Holmes prosecuted for arson. So you see, in an effort to cover his criminal activities and cover huge mounting debts, he set fire to his hotel. It was planned to be very minimal damage when it was done. He filed a claim, but uh, investigators suspected arson. To collect a payment, he would have to have had, he would have to have gone in person and filed under one of his multiple aliases. So he never showed up, he never collected. He then started receiving threats of legal action and jail time from the many people that he owed money to. So Holmes flees Chicago and ends up in Fort Worth where he had inherited wink Quote unquote. wink, wink <laughs> yeah the property from the william sisters that we talked about previously so later in july of 1894 h H. Uh, hh was arrested and incarcerated for a brief time on one of the charges of selling mortgaged goods in st louis i know you're like wait st what we didn't even talk about st louis the man gets Thank around you.
1: Yeah, he's just bouncing from place to place, staying one step ahead of the law.
0: It's like that Tupac song, I get around. Mm. Round and round, round we go. Okay. Um, while in prison, he came up with a plan to fake his own death for a $10,000 life insurance policy. In 2020, that would be about $302,591. So
1: it's like 300000 Yeah. Roughly. Roughly.
0: While in jail, before he was bailed out, Holmes had struck up a conversation with another known criminal, Marion Hedgepeth, a.k.a. the handsome bandit, the debonair bandit, the Montana (laughs) bandit. Uh, Marion was serving a 25-year sentence for train robbery. He and the Hedgepeth Four took $20,000, or in today's money, $600,000 from that train robbery. So HH promised Marion $500 at that day, which would be about $15,000 today. He promised him $500 if he would give him the name of an attorney who could be trusted. Marion told Holmes about a young, ambitious St. Louis attorney named Jeptha Howe. Jeptha was actually in practice with his older brother, Alfonso. So Alfonso, from what I could see, Um, I didn't deep dive into him, was more or less on the straight and narrow. Jephtha, however, was intrigued by Holmes's insurance scheme. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for all, the scheme failed when the insurance company suspected arson. So he ditched the idea. Kind of. Not entirely. He's a con man after all. You know, it's a good idea. We're not going to give it away completely. We'll just, you know, put it on hold. We're going to put it on the back burner. Yeah. So he hatches up a similar plan, this time with his creature, Benjamin Peitzel. His boy. His boy, his tool. His guy. So Benjamin agreed to fake his death so that his wife would collect the $10,000, which, again, $305,000 in, in today's money. Mm-hmm. And they would split it with Holmes and Jephthah. Benjamin, under the name... B.F. Perry, again with the initials, mm-hmm. would pretend to be an inventor who was disfigured and killed in a laboratory explosion. Holmes was to put a cadaver in the lab in place of Benjamin and Benjamin's wife would collect. This is H.H. H. Holmes that we're talking about. So he's not just a con man, he's a killer. Yeah,
1: so probably not going to fake a death.
0: Mm. So Holmes uses chloroform to knock Benjamin out, and then he sets him on fire using benzene. Benzene is a colorless, flammable liquid with a sweet odor, and it evaporates quickly when it is exposed to air. So Holmes (laughs) collects the money and then went along with Benjamin's wife and children to New England, telling them the entire time that Benjamin was in hiding and that he was going to meet them later somehow some way he was able to manipulate benjamin's wife to give him custody of three of her five children what yes the middle children alice Nellie, and howard the oldest daughter and her baby remained with her her name is carrie okay holmes and the three children traveled across the u.s and canada while carrie peitzel traveled pretty much a parallel route across the u.s and Canada all using aliases along the way. And Holmes continued to lie to Carrie about her husband, claiming he was hiding out now in London. He was also lying to her about the status and whereabouts of Alice, Nellie, and Howard. At one point when they were all in Detroit, just before crossing into Canada, they were separated by merely a few blocks, unbeknownst to Carrie. So I mentioned that he was lying to Carrie about Alice, Nellie, and Howard. In a confession, Holmes said while traveling with his wife, who was unaware of his antics, he forced Alice and Nellie into a large trunk and locked them inside. He then drilled a hole in the top of it and put the end of a hose through it while attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate the girls. He then buried their nude little bodies in the cellar of his rented home in Toronto. The home is no longer in existence. It was located on St. Saint- Uh, St. Vincent which has been realigned into a part of Bay Street. So every villain story hopefully has a hero. Last week we talked about uh, Kane who came in with his sunglasses and witty one-liners like he was on CSI. (laughs) (laughs) Well our hero this week is Frank Geyer. He's a Philly detective that was assigned to investigate Holmes. Geyer was apparently present in Toronto when the bodies of Alice and Nellie were found. He wrote in his book, The holmes Peitzel Case, that the deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the forearm of a human being. Frank went next to Indianapolis where Holmes had rented a cottage. He reported visiting a local pharmacy where he bought drugs that he used to kill Howard. And he visited a repair shop to sharpen knives that he used to cut up Howard's body before burning it. So he kills the
1: dad, kills all the kids. Mm -hmm. Mom's the only one left that knows about the scam.
0: Mom, yep, and her oldest.
1: Oh, yeah, and the baby.
0: And the baby. So Howard's teeth and bone fragments were discovered in the chimney. On November 20th of 1894, Carrie Peitzel confessed to attempted insurance fraud by faking her husband's death. And she confessed because she began to suspect that her husband wasn't actually in hiding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Holmes had been telling her that, but of course we know, in fact, he killed him. He killed this
1: guy, his sidekick.
0: His tool. Yeah. Yeah. So unbeknownst to Carrie, just before she confessed, Holmes was arrested in Boston on November 17th and accused of attempting to defraud Fidelity Mutual Insurance from Philadelphia. He had been tracked to Boston by the Pinkertons. Now, I don't know if you'd ever heard of the Pinkertons. I hadn't. So I had to look them up. Oh, they're, yeah.
1: I Yeah, I love
0: them. So they're a private security private security guard detective agency that was established in the U.S. by Scotsman Alan Pinkerton in 1850. The company is still in existence and is a subsidiary of Securitas. Pinkerton himself became famous when he claimed to have foiled a plot to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln, who later hired Pinkerton agents for his personal security during the Civil War. Holmes was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas, (laughs) authorities were already suspicious because holmes was prepared to flee the country with his third wife who was still unaware of all of his illegal activities
1: well so she says
0: so she says i don't know you know what i can believe it though
1: yeah well this guy is like all over the place like like you said, all the pl- spinning plates and everything. So who yeah. knows? Who knows what they know? If they I even mean, know what if
0: they you know. if you've watched ID channel at all, there's entire shows that like, and there's a there's a show called Who the bleep did I marry? Because people have no clue what their spouses are doing.
1: I mean, it also is probably a statement that everyone who's been married ever has said at one point.
0: I, I kind of believe her though. So in Chicago, after the reports of finding the Peitzel girls, authorities began to investigate Holmes's property, which had been dubbed the castle. Reporters caught wind and began to investigate as well. Nothing definitively linking Holmes to crimes in Chicago was found. All right, so don't fret, Adam. In October, 1895, Holmes was tried and convicted for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. His sentence, death. Following his conviction, HH confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, Toronto, Although some of the murders he confessed to were uh, the victims were still alive.
1: So he was just trying to pad his stats, basically.
0: Yeah. Or they died like years after he confessed to killing them under completely different circumstances. Like, for instance, he claimed to have killed his former uh, med school classmate, Robert Leacock, in 1886 for $40,000 in insurance money. Robert, however, died in Watford, Ontario, Canada, on October 5th of 1889. That's according to the University of Michigan's catalog of students. Okay, so on top of the confessed murders, he also confessed to six attempted murders. Holmes was paid $7,500, which is $230,000 today, by Hearst newspaper for his confessions. Mm-hmm. Much, like I said, of that has found to be an exaggeration or lies.
1: Right. Yeah, they were like, hey, we're going to give you $200,000. Now we want a really good confession. hmm So-
0: Holmes's inclination to lie and exaggerate made it difficult for researchers to determine fact from fiction. On April 9th of 1896, Holmes signed a confession statement detailing his crimes. He later retracted that confession, saying he only killed one person, or excuse me, he only killed two women, you know, only two. What's what's two?
1: Yeah, I mean out of the 27 so, I yeah.
0: admitted to, you know, it was only two. Yeah.
1: I was bluffing. You got me.
0: Along with the victims we've already discussed, there were a few others. There was Dr. Russell, a tenant of the castle, who was bludgeoned with a chain during a heated rent dispute. It was with his body that Holmes started his cadaver enterprise, selling corpses to medical students for $25 to $45 a piece. There was also Mr. Rogers of Virginia. No, not that, Mr. Rogers. He was uh, struck on the head by an oar during a fishing trip upon which Holmes learned that he had money. There was also a maid named Lizzie. She was the first one suffocated in the vault. Holmes feared that his married janitor would run away with her. So do you remember I mentioned that name, Marion Hedgepeth, the criminal that Holmes used to get the attorney recommendation from, the handsome bandit?
1: Yes, the Montana bandit, the charming bandit.
0: Yeah. Kind of
1: three nicknames that all mean the same thing. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. Yeah, the debonair bandit, the Montana debonair bandit, better. my mm-hmm. bad.
1: I just don't remember French words.
0: He actually helped bring down H.H. H. Holmes. While jailed with Marion, he was using an alias and told Marion the plot. Well, Marion, of course, he also promised Marion that $500. Well, he, of course, stiffed Marion. Yeah, there you go. I think it's funny that he's been brought down by accomplices in an insurance fraud, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean
1: it's the way to get people. I mean, there are rumors that that's how a, a certain former government official may be brought down in New York. Oh, hmm. so doing with dealing with a certain charity that may not have been up and up with its finances.
0: Oh, wow. Well. So it looks like it's Marion who had found out H's, HH's H H's real name and exposed him. On May 7th of 1896, nine days before his 35th birthday, Holmes was put to death by hanging in wait, wait, wait. He did
1: all this by 35.
0: <laughs> Gosh, darn it. Yeah mm-hmm. Okay. Right. so that's
1: yeah, just make me feeling an old and unfulfilled. Unfulfilled
0: because you haven't yeah. killed 27 people and attempted to kill have- six more.
1: Yeah, but he built like three hotels and killed people in like 10 states and had four wives. I am way behind, at least on the wives and the hotels part. But
0: not the and, killing?
1: And them? the murders. Yeah, oh, I, okay. I was still at zero. Okay.
0: okay. I mean, okay. I
1: did get that fly once, but eh. <laughs> it's more self-defense.
0: So he was put to death just before his 35th birthday by hanging at Myo Prison, also known as the Philadelphia County Prison, for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. Right up until the moment of his death, Holmes was calm and cool. He showed no signs of real fear. He did, however, ask for his coffin to be buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned that grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection.
1: <laughs> he was like, uh, I, don't want cop- I don't want copycats to do exactly to me what I did to other people.
0: Yeah, karma. it's called karma, HH. It's called karma. Holmes's neck did not snap instantly. Ooh, Instead, good. it was a very slow death as he strangled. Strangulation deaths by hanging typically take ten to twenty minutes. For Holmes, he hung twitching for fifteen minutes before being declared dead after twenty. Wow. His time of death, ten twenty-five AM. I mean it couldn't happen to a better person. <laughs> On New Year's Eve of 1909, Marion, who had been pardoned for his info on Holmes, by the way, at the age of 53, he was shot and killed by a police officer, Edward Jebruick, uh, Jeb during a botched robbery at a saloon in Chicago. He mm-hmm. died at St. Anthony's Hospital and was buried in a poor man's grave. The castle itself, or murder mansion, as as it has also become known, uh, was gutted by a mysterious fire in August of 1895, according to the New York Times. So mysterious. Yeah. Two men were seen entering the back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m. About a half an hour later, they were seen exiting and running away. Several explosions then took place and it completely engulfed the hotel investigators checking into the fire found a half empty gas can underneath the back steps of the building the building somehow survived the fire and was used until eight uh, excuse me until 1938 when it was torn down the site of the castle is now the inglewood branch of the united states postal service
1: <laughs> all right it's <laughs> where they send all the dead letters
0: <laughs> wow Yeah, I went
1: full dad. I went full dad on that. I'm sorry. In
0: 2017, played with rumors that Holmes had somehow escaped his execution, his body was exhumed for testing by the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology. (laughs) The exhumation that was led by uh, Janet uh, Mongay, I'm not quite sure. His coffin.
1: Professor M. Professor M. yeah. Yeah.
0: His coffin was contained in cement, and as a result, the, the decomp was impacted because he was encased in cement. His gotcha. clothing was almost perfect in its preservation. And his mustache was still intact. This is in 2017. His body was identified by his teeth. It was a positive match. After this, he was reburied. Finally, there are estimates of his victim range. And they range from 20 to 200. Gee who is?
1: But he only claimed 22 that he couldn't, he, he literally couldn't, rem, or he couldn't remember all the names of the people
0: he actually killed. So he just mentioned other people he knew. Right. He was like, I know there was another one. So I'm just going to say Ted. Yeah. Of course, in its time, this case was notorious. Interest in it was revived in 2013 with Eric Larson's book, The Devil in the White City Murder. Excuse mm-hmm. me, The Devil in the White City Murder, Magic and Madness at the Fair that changed America. In two thousand six, the CW show Supernatural actually featured Holmes's ghost in season two's episode called No Exit. Hmm. In two
1: thousand
0: seventeen, the History Channel aired an eight-episode limited docu-series entitled American Ripper, in which Holmes's great grandson Jeff Mudgett and former CIA analyst Emerilis Fox investigated clues to prove that Holmes was the infamous London killer Jack. The Ripper. Of course, we know the identity of Jack the Ripper is still unknown. It's not believed to be H.H. Holmes. Yeah.
1: Like, how how could he be in two places at once?
0: Right. In 2019, an adaptation of The Devil in the White City with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio as uh, EP, was uh, executive producer, was in development with Paramount uh, TV and Hulu. As of this recording, publication has yet to commence. That my dear desktop detectives is the story of America's very first serial killer.
1: I'm just glad he got his comeuppance at least. (laughs) Like I like, I like the happy endings. Not that's happy, but in the, yeah, the justice endings. I don't know. I like when a bad guy gets caught. Yeah.
0: Right. The bad guy, the bad guy got caught and justice was served. He, you know, had to pay for his crimes. So there you go.
1: This is Kevin Armstrong, your host for Movie Battle. Each episode, we take two films and put a super fan of each against one another to decide which one is best. The only rule we have is that you come correct. If you're interested in being a guest on Movie Battle, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.
0: Are you ready for less murder and more movies?
1: <laughs> more fun. <laughs> There's, there's no movies in this one but. you
0: act like my side is supposed to be fun like every week you're like that was just not fun <laughs> it's a true crime podcast <laughs>
1: sorry i just gotta mentally prepare better
0: it's just tough. know every week there's gonna be murder i know every that. week
1: it's <laughs> just it's actually this one wasn't like it, there was a lot of murder that's not what i'm saying there was a lot of murder uh but like it wasn't as graphic i don't know like
0: yeah it, it was like the last weeks or, or the last couple of weeks because we did the two-parter it was really graphic
1: yeah yeah i mean this guy definitely a bad guy i'm super glad he's dead but there was like so much that he had going on that it was kind of Distracting from the gruesomeness of the murder. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He's like, oh, and he created this evil lair with shoots to drop people and lie after he killed them. I'm like,
0: and he was stealing people's amazing. money and selling money. You know, he, yeah, he had and, uh, his hands uh, committing in every
1: insurance fraud. Yeah. He had
0: his hands in lots of pots. Okay.
1: Like he was a full-on super villain.
0: <laughs> he was a murderous entrepreneur. Yeah.
1: I mean, like Lex Luthor's like, oh, insurance fraud. I never got into that. She's like selling cadavers. Ooh, I do. I mean, who knew? Mm-hmm. I kill these people, but I'm gonna make a profit off of them too. It's just, it just, it's good business sense. <laughs> okay, ready for the A side?
0: Mm-hmm. All
1: right. It's now time for the A side, where we take a step away from the gruesome, murderous stories that Brooke tells, <laughs> which are actually like they're super interesting, and I know m- many people love them. And I uh, often say that they're uh, like a lot to take in, but that's just because I have night terrors and, and I wake up screaming. So um, other than that, they're, they're really just uh, interesting stories. So <laughs> my way to avoid uh, some of, and, and I've had night terrors forever, not just because we started this podcast. Uh, so that's not, yeah. The- don't
0: blame me for that.
1: No, no. That's like all the way back uh, my entire life. Like, so not, not because of the podcast, but, um, But I have been always searching for things to distract my mind and things that make me laugh and things that cheer me up. And especially uh, up here in Minnesota, as Brooke, you and I talked a little bit, it's been super cold. So Mm -hmm. you can't go outside and get like any vitamin D or air, because if you go outside for too long, you lose like fingers and toes. Uh, My dog hates being outside, so she's not coming with me uh, for longer than five, 10 minutes to do our business. And then we leave. Uh, so I have always struggled when I've lived in Minnesota in February and March, cause they are the two longest months or the coldest, hardest months of winter for me, at least mm-hmm. December. It's like, Oh, this is new. Like October, November, like, oh, snow. That's fun. December. Like, Oh, it's festive. January is like, okay, you know, it's getting really cold. We can do this. And then February and March are like, I'm just over it. So I have often sought out ways to add laughter and fun to my daily routine. And yesterday I was driving my oldest to a virtual theater uh, rehearsal uh, because you can't do real theater because of COVID, but they're doing a virtual production. Uh, And as we often do, we were playing music on our drive. And all of a sudden... Uh, As we're shuffling through my Spotify liked songs comes on a song that I hadn't heard in ages, but was one of our favorites six years ago, six, seven years ago when the kids were younger and we would have dance parties at the house to try to cheer ourselves up in the winter Mm -hmm. because you can't move. It's super cold outside, but you need, you've got all this energy and you got to do something. So we would go on YouTube and find videos and music and dance around the house and one of the first songs that we picked because of the video uh, was back in 2013 and it was the extraordinarily absurd what does the fox say
0: oh from yeah from the
1: from the norwegian group ilvis
0: mm-hmm.
1: at the time I remember it, it like came on. It was this huge, like viral thing. Everybody is is watching it. It was like the biggest video on YouTube of
0: 2013. Yeah. <laughs> we can't play the actual song because I don't want to cease and desist or anything. Yeah,
1: but we, we can try to link to it on some of our sites, perhaps. Because mm-hmm. uh, I've got a, I'm sending you a bunch of links for we to share with everybody. Okay, uh, but. Most people know that song and they're like, oh yeah, remember that. And it goes out of their mind. I, however, back in 2013 fell into this entire black hole of Yildiz knowledge. So what most people when they hear that song, they're like, oh, is this weird sort of catchy song that came out of nowhere for these guys who'd never heard of it, like a one-hit wonder that seemed so stupid it was good. Uh, what it turns out and Brooke, you may know this because you were doing radio at the time, and I'm sure you saw some of the interviews, whether it was on uh, Ellen DeGeneres or Jimmy Fallon or any of these shows. Uh, but Yelvis was actually—they're a comedy duo, not unlike you know the Lonely Island or Weird Al Yankovic or anybody that does comedy using music. Mm-hmm. They had their own show, very much like a late night with Jimmy Tenacious Fallon D. or Tenacious D. Yeah, very similar. And the whole, the biggest irony of the entire thing is they were working with a production company called Stargate and Masonic, which were two like producers that had produced for big stars like Beyonce across the world. And they did a favor for them. And they said, well, do you guys want anything from us? And they're like, yeah, we want to record the world's worst pop song. (laughs) so they record what does the fox say and and they try to make it just as ridiculous as possible there's like no way this is going to work and it was supposed to support like it was supposed to come out as a trailer for the third season of their late night show or their sort of talk show variety show as this is what we did over our summer and it went really bad and everyone hates us and we we lost all this money and we is horrible. You're like sort of a gag thing. And then in one of the most perfect pop culture tornadoes ever, it blows up. And so now these guys who just did this as a lark to make fun of pop music are traveling all over the globe <laughs> singing this ridiculous song and get it, they even made a children's book. I mean, they appeared on all sorts of award shows, all because of what does the Fox say? So I started diving. It's like, hey, these guys are really funny. I didn't realize this was supposed to be a joke. I think most people just thought this was a really dumb song, but we all kind of liked it like it was the Macarena or Venga Boys or Barbie Girl. It was just like super over-the-top music that we enjoyed, but we'll probably never hear from these people again. That's when I discovered that they had an entire catalog of music and music videos and very, very funny songs that goes all the way back to the early 2000s. So the two brothers, Vergard and Bard, Yilvasker, or Yilvis is the first part of their name, uh, grew up as very musical. They played either the viola or violin. They were classically trained. The family lived all over the place. Uh, They lived in Africa for a few years then finally moved back to Norway. And then they eventually became a comedy duo while they were in high school. Uh, They were performing and a talent scout saw them and signed them up to start doing variety acts during uh, the early 2000s and they debuted, that's a hard word to say, debut or debuted. They had a show called Ylvis and Cabaret, which is Ylvis and Cabaret, which was followed by Ylvis, a concert. So when you go in and you think, okay, these guys, what does the fox say? You suddenly have 13 years worth of other music and other songs that they have already made they released as an album in 2014 right after the what does the fox say became such a huge hit and had videos to go with all of them because they were doing tv shows so everything was a video and the visuals are as funny as the lyrics and the talent within these guys is incredible on their show that was running at the time the tonight with yulvis they had reoccurring gags like, you know, very similar to like karaoke in the car or uh, car karaoke or like getting coffee with celebrities. They had different or like uh, what's his name um, on the street when Jay Lennon would do like the interview with the people on the street Mm -hmm. thing and people would be like, wow, they don't know anything about anything. Mm -hmm. They had several running gags, which are all available on YouTube still. And uh, they are absolutely hilarious. They would stand outside of a salon one with a guitar and the other one singing, and someone would walk out and they would on the spot create a song about that person's new haircut. Oh, wow. And they're doing everything completely off the cuff. Uh, They would install a broadcast radio in a cab and then they would be in a car directly behind the cab someone would get into the cab and they'd be driving to their destination. And suddenly on the radio is a song that they're composing in real time and singing, describing everything the person in the cab is doing or where they're, where they said they're going. (laughs) And so you imagine this, you're in the car you're like, you hop in a cab and all of a sudden on the radio is a song that sounds like a legitimate song, but it is describing you completely and what you're doing, looking out the window. And it's just completely throwing people off. Uh, One of their, other one of my favorite of their skits of or games or little segments uh, was a kind of take on ding dong ditch mm-hmm. so they would run up to somebody's house but you would you could ring the bell and then you had to take four steps so has you could try to hide in those four steps you could try to run away but like you could only take four steps so it was amazing to see them either figure out a way to hide so people wouldn't see them or you get like four steps away or two steps away and the door opens and then they just freeze. while these people are (laughs) screaming at them in Norwegian. Uh, One of of the challenges is that a lot of the stuff is, well not challenges, one of the understandably natural things is this is a Norway late night show. So a lot of the uh, dialogue is in uh, Norwegian, but they also know like six languages a piece. So one of their favorite things to do on another sketch called the Intellivator was they would rig up an elevator so it didn't have any buttons and somebody would walk in and then a voice would be like welcome to the Intellivator what you know, they'd ask them to pick their language and then they'd play games with these people like you have activated trivia elevator to get to the 10th floor you must ask you must answer 10 trivia questions or Randomly showing up on a floor and having a photo shoot happening or uh, stuffed animals of foxes because obviously they were doing an homage to uh, what does a fox say. Right. Uh, and I completely recommend that if you are having a bad day ever, go to YouTube, search Yelvis, listen to some of their Songs and videos. I mean, Stonehenge should be taught in school because it talks so much about the history of Stonehenge, but also asks what is going on with Stonehenge. Uh, You've got songs that kind of play off of the uh, rap vibe, but spend the entire time describing an actual jacuzzi. Uh, Or, you know, another one that talks about the uh, former prime minister of Norway who goes on to work at the UN, And the entire song is basically like describing him as a superhero. Um, They sound funnier. They they don't sound funny when I say them, but they are hilarious. So uh, I would highly recommend diving in uh, and checking all of their videos out and all of the de Ilves, the Late Tonight with Ilves uh, videos. But one of the things that I discovered for the first time in doing research for this today is that there was a point when they could have become even more mainstream right after the What Does the Fox Say video hit big. I and mean, that still has almost a billion views on YouTube.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: it, it is uh, as of, I think, June 2020 is the last time I, I saw it referenced. It was 979 million Shoot. views. Yeah, so they're closing in on a billion views on YouTube. Uh, it was a huge deal, and every comedy central reached out to them and said hey we think you guys are really funny we love what the fox says we look we've seen your stuff your show would you be interested in coming to la and recording a pilot for a sort of comedy variety show that's going to air on comedy central so they did they came to la in 2014 They wrote a bunch of stuff on their laptops. They stayed in hotels. They, you know, did the Hollywood thing for a little bit. And what they found is Comedy Central kept giving them more writers and more people to be involved and more directors and other people in the cast. And it was, it became something that wasn't authentic to them. And they're like, we're not California people. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, we've done all of our comedy and all of our, you know, stuff in Norway, and we're just going to get back to Norway. And so they, they actually recorded a pilot, which I would love to see, but it's never been never been broadcast, hidden in a vault somewhere. Uh, comedy Central, you know, let them go back to Norway. And then when they were back in Norway said, oh, we need some more for this pilot. Would you guys come back or, you know, or, or we can't use it? And they're like, nah, you know what? We're good. We'll just stay wow. in Norway and do our thing. So they like right there could have, could have had the whole, you know, Hollywood experience and just said, you know what? We're just really comfortable doing what we're doing and what this feels like. Is it really yield So we're not going to do it anymore. And walked away from the whole thing. Good uh, them, they, though. Yeah. That really impressed me. Cause they've always seemed really, you know, like authentic and smart guys and very funny, but The temptation to, you know, have something like that, because I got to think of commies that are spending the money and they're bringing in these people, you're going to get at least one season and you can take that money. And then, you know, if you don't want to do it anymore, walk away. I mean, Chappelle did it for a couple years and then decided he was done. Uh, But they were just like, you know, this isn't me. It's inauthentic. It's not us. And it doesn't feel right. So we're not going to do it, which I really respect. So. Uh, That actually, and I will, I'll send Brooke you the the link for that because uh, I had to find that on a Norwegian website uh, that was talking about their new show that came out in 2018 called Stories from Norway. And it was a bunch of, um, you know, musical videos, like each episode was a musical about something that had recently happened. So one of them is like Justin Bieber's first, like recent concert in... Uh, Norway and what he did just after and they're very funny uh, and many it's again a mix of English but also Norwegian but clearly it was more they wanted to tell stories that were authentic to them and so Mm -hmm. they went back and did that which I think is really cool but I had to find this site and then translate it uh, into English using Google Translate so I could read it so if some of the details are wrong I blame the translation not me
0: blame it's google pro- sure it's pro- yeah sure. it's probably
1: a bit of both you know uh so yes they still have uh shows going on they're showing they're no longer doing tonight with yulvis but they have you know a bunch of episodes of stories from norway they are appearing on other shows with other collaborators they've had uh but all of their stuff a lot of their stuff is still on youtube uh and i highly recommend just go if you are having a bad day if you are needing a laugh, if you want to just kind of escape for a second, uh, take a deep dive into the Yulvis videos beyond what does the fox say. And I am sure you will find a favorite one. And I've noticed that over the last seven years when I've done this, my favorite ones keep changing. Like at first I really love Stonehenge and John England, which are great. But then it was like, oh, Massachusetts is kind of funny too. And then, Acapella, where they kind of do a send up of pentatonics, is hilarious. And then they bring in their little brother, who is a helicopter pilot in Portland, uh, in America, uh, for a video called I Will Never Be a Star, talking about his brothers get to be famous, but he doesn't get to be famous, which is incredibly meta and also quite clever. So uh, there isn't one I wouldn't recommend. Uh, there's even one entirely about yogurt. Okay, Uh, yeah. Which they pull off. Uh, Another one about dairy intolerance. Um, So their subjects are really all over the place, and you'll find something that makes your day. So, uh, Yovis, thank you for what does the fox say and all of the other stuff. What does the fox say? Sorry. Seriously, like that sound comes on like everybody smiles. We're like, this is so absurd and Mm -hmm. over the top. Uh, and it's meant to be that And it's so perfect But yeah, check out their stuff Intellivator, Radio Taxi uh, Singing to Strangers uh, It's all really funny stuff And it feels very familiar To a lot of American comedy uh, the, you know, Even if the language barrier Is a little different It's still funny When, you, when you're paying attention So check it out uh, That is The A-Side Thank you Yilvis And go watch more And we still don't know what the fox says.
0: All right. We never figured oh, that out.
1: And also, something I learned in this deep dive that I never knew before, and I kind of makes me a little sheepish for how many times my kids were running around singing it. Uh, evidently, fox is slang for marijuana in Norway.
0: Oh, well, now <laughs> the song makes a little more sense.
1: It does.
0: And now you get the ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, ding.
1: Yeah. yeah. So uh, and the best part is like I learned that from a like 2013 interview with Ellen DeGeneres. But the best part with these guys is you're never truly sure if they're playing with American audiences. Like, I don't know if that's true. I couldn't like find anything that backed up that Fox is slang for marijuana. So they may have just been pulling Ellen's leg. I have no idea.
0: Hmm.
1: Which is why I love them.
0: But I'm just gonna use it anyway. Yeah. Hey man, you got yeah. that fox? <laughs> I don't really yeah. ask that. My mom's listening. Yeah. <laughs> Norwegian word fox is also their slang for cannabis.
1: Okay, cool. Then they weren't just killing her But I mean, I kind of wish they would have been because who we wouldn't know. <laughs> We'd be yeah. like, oh. Yeah, of course. Fox. And meanwhile, of Norway is like, oh, those
0: Americans. (laughs) But I guess the word is actually like there, it's rev.
1: Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing it's not fox.
0: It's not fox, no. It's rev. And the fox says, (laughs) the Norwegian word fox, rev, also is their slang for cannabis. Rez is thought to have partly been inspired um, by the song that carved out its a permanent place in meme history. What does the fox say? Yeah. Uh,
1: so, what came first, the slang or the song?
0: Ooh, that's a good question.
1: Yeah, that could be its. That could be its own podcast. What came ding, first, ding, slang ding, or song?
0: Ding, ding, ding. Okay. okay. All right. Um. So, is that the A side?
1: That is the A side.
0: All right. So, unless
1: I- we want to like violate some more uh, <laughs> rules about singing songs that we don't have copyright to. No. Mm-mm,
0: mm-mm. <laughs> uh thank you again for uh, checking in with us and checking out the podcast if you would like to support the show you can do that several ways a side b side is the website we have merch we've lots of merch we've got sweatshirts t-shirts i've got on a sweatshirt right now um i've always got on one of our sweatshirts though i think <laughs> also you know what we need because we are in a pandemic we need joggers or pjs oh yeah I'm on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can also, like Brad did, you can let us know if there's a story that you have heard of and you'd like us to talk about. You can email us. Uh, It doesn't just have to be murder. It could be a movie um, Mm -hmm. or a TV show, you know, a let Adam do that rabbit hole deep dive into some old school shows and actors and things like that. A side, B side podcasts at gmail.com. You can DM us. We are on all the socials. We've got a Twitter, we've got a Facebook, we've got an Instagram and you can also support the show by buying us a coffee. Like Roger did. Thank you, Roger. And I did get some good coffee. He told me, make sure you get some good coffee. So I did.
1: Yeah. None of that. Just like straight black stuff with the gas station.
0: No, I got some straight frou, frou coffee. Yeah, (laughs) but you also can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash A-side, B-side pod. And we would really, truly, genuinely appreciate if you'd head on over to Apple and give us a a rating and a review would be lovely as well. So Mm -hmm. those are all ways that you can support the podcast. We thank you once again. Remember, bad vibes save lives. If you've got a bad vibe about somebody, I was just talking to my mom about a case- where uh, it was like someone met online and he somehow drugged her drink and, you know, oh, just bad, bad, bad things, yeah. bad things, bad things. So if yeah. you've got that bad vibe, just listen to it. It could truly save your life.
1: Yeah, and there's nothing, nothing worried about taking a drink with you when you leave the table, just saying.
0: At all, or give it to the bartender yeah. or something. Yeah.
1: yeah, just take it with you. Mm-hmm. I like to I like to schedule my bathroom breaks in between drinks.
0: There you go. Hey, don't worry about yeah. bringing that drink until I get back. Okay. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I'll be right back, but don't bring it yet because I mm-hmm. want it to be ice cold.
0: Ladies, if you have a female server, she's going to completely get it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I got you, girl. All right, so there you go. That's another episode of A-Side, B-Side. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Brooke. As always, thank you for listening to A-Side, B-Side podcast. If you enjoy the show, please, if you don't mind, head on over to Apple and leave us a rating or a review. And if you'd like to continue to support the podcast, you can do so by heading on over to Patreon or you can buy us a coffee as well as buying merch on our website, A-Side, B-Side podcast square site. From Adam and I at A-Side, B-Side podcast, please remember to wear your mask, social distance if you're around people that don't live in your household and just be safe and safe and happy. Thanks again from us here at A-Side B-Side Podcast.